and I would like to show it to you as well. Revelation chapter 1, and in verse 3, and we're going to go all the way from, you know, Lord willing, as Russell said, chapter 1, and we're going to end in chapter 17. I'd like to do a brief overview of each chapter as we've been through it in our teen Sunday school class, hit the highlights, and we'll end in chapter 17. I believe there's something there that we can learn from and uh, understand for the end of this lesson. So chapter 1, verse 3, this is the reason why if you have not read it, read it. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. If you haven't read it, read it. There's blessings involved. Christ says it. And if you have read it, read it again. It's good for you. But um, beyond this blessing here in chapter 3, see the introduction of of uh, John, the, the Apostle John, um, he's the the writer here of the entire book, inspired by Christ Himself. He's exiled to the island of Patmos, and it says there in verse nine, the reason why he's there for the uh, for the testimony. For the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's there because he's a Christian. He's there because the Roman um, emperor, Domitian, sentenced him to exile on Pat- Patmos due to his testimony. Um, continue on, continuing on past John, past the introduction of John and who he was and is, um, we, see, we see the introduction of Jesus Christ himself. Um, and he's different here in chapter 1 then we know, we know him now as our great high priest. We know him as the one who intercedes between our infirmities and God, the one who stands between us, the hope that we have between our, us and our sin and God. His blood, God, God now can look at us and see the blood of Christ on us. That's the hope, that's the only hope we have. That's what we have as Christians. That's why we're here. That's, that's, otherwise, let's go home. Let's get out of here. There's, nothing, there's no reason for any of this church stuff without that. That's how we see Jesus now as the prophet, the great high, or the, as the great high priest. Um, we see here in, Revel, in Revelation chapter 1, we see him here as a judge. And the attire, this white, the white garb that he has on, the white attire that he has on, the eyes of burning fire, the feet of brass that have just come out of the furnace, the brass that it's, he is in the form of a judge here. Um, and then jumping ahead, far, far ahead, we see him in the end of Revelation as a king, as a king. So we see him now as um, the priest, the one who intercedes for us, we see him in chapter 1 here as a judge, um, ready to judge the sin of the world and do away with Satan. Uh, there in chapter 19, we see the victory, ultimate victory over top of Satan. Um, we see him here as a judge. Jumping, jumping fast, we're going to go th- fairly quick, as John MacArthur says, a jet tour through Revelation. To, Revelation. Um, chapters, verse, chapters 2 and chapter 3. Um, we know him as the messages to the churches. John is told to write these messages. Um, Jesus gives him 
verbatim what to speak to these churches, and they're specific. They're specific letters to specific churches that actually existed. Um, each one, each of these seven churches get a, uh, have a specific, specific letter written to them, um, specific in their circumstances, specific in um, their needs and struggles. As we studied, as the teens and, I, and Larissa and I, we studied through and we found many of them, even in their names, pointing to Christ, pointing to the letters, pointing to exactly what was happening during those time periods um, that those churches literally existed. They also line up directly with major um, time periods of church history. And we it, um, it took a lot of time studying the, the church in its history, and also the church, the time period that it uh, represented throughout history of, of church as we know it. Um, the last one there being Laodicea, ending, and uh, that overlaps directly with the time period that we're in. Um, verse 16, this warning that Jesus stated directly to them, being specific to their time period, Jesus stated in chapter 3, verse 16, being neither cold nor hot, he will spew them out of his mouth. And uh, I believe that is a direct, direct, I believe that it couples directly with Matthew 7, 22 through 23, and I'd like to look at that briefly. Matthew 27, 22 through 23. Sorry, Matthew 7, not 27. Matthew 7. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Spewing out, spew them out of his mouth. If you're lukewarm, if you're not um, right with the Lord. Continuing on, four chapters four through five of Revelation, we get a glimpse into the throne room of heaven and the glory of it. Um, we see through the visions that are given to John, this book sealed with seven seals written on the inside and the out, containing the judgments that will be poured out on the earth during the Great Tribulation. This seven-sealed book um, that's presented here, we see, we've, we see the fact that there's only one who is truly righteousness, righteous enough um, and holy enough to actually receive this book. There's a... a uh, what's the word I'm looking at? A challenge given, I guess, by this angel... There in chapter 5, um, proclaimed who, who can take it, who, who can come and get it. And uh, there in verse, four, uh, verse 2 of chapter 5, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. So from, I mean, that covers, that covers the whole gamut. And every single being, every single life, anybody, can, does not have the power to, to look thereon of that. And uh, it, atta- it 
takes such a toll on John there in verse 4. He, he sits there and bawls about it. He's, he's crying about it. And I wept much because there was no man found worthy to open the book, to read it, neither to look thereon. It grieved him. But we find, um, we find the Lamb of God was worthy. Worthy. And it says, um, and I beheld, in, in verse 6, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And the power of Christ given there. Um, he is worthy to take the book. Moving to chapter 6, um, tribulation starts, I guess you could say. Um, the seals are poured out on the earth. The Antichrist sets up his kingdom. Um, the world is duped into a one-world government and a one-single ruler. The, um, we also, as we get into 17 later on in this lesson, we'll see how the world is duped in the, in the government, but also in a single um, religious system. Uh, verse seven, or chapter 7, there's a pause in, in everything. There's a pause in the tribulation here. There's a pause in the destruction. There's a pause in the, in the judgments. Verse 7, an angel of God seals the 144,000 Jews, specifically 12,000 from each of the 12, 12 tribes. <clears throat> and that's a, it's interesting to me that there's that, that pause, that hesitation in judgment, in, in all the acts that are going on in the world. Everything is paused. The wind is stayed. The wind is held back. Not a, the wind doesn't even blow on the earth. And God seals his 144,000 Jews out of the earth and, and protects them beyond, um, protects them out of the judgments and everything that is taking place on the earth. Chapter 8 through 9, the trumpet judgments. And the, the sickening part of, of this, we see the depravity of sin deeply set in the, in the ones, the remnants on the earth. And we see that show forth directly in nine, chapter 9, 20, and 21. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor, nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornications, nor of their thefts. This is the crowd that will be on earth at the time of this tribulation. Yes, there will be people who are saved. Yes, there will be people who come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and gloriously they will be in heaven with us later on, but these are the ones who will be controlling the earth, the economy of the earth, the workings of earthly things during the tribulation. This is, this is where the focus will be, um, as is described in verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 20 through 21. Chapter 10, when we got into chapter 10, it was quite odd and confusing to me um, it, it's, I, I didn't, we didn't understand it. And then the, I think the gist of it, as we read, as we studied through it and read through it, um, this is the vision of the mighty angel and John is 
John is presented with the little book, and he's told to eat it, and it'll make your, it'll be sweet as honey, and it'll make your belly bitter, and it, like, what is this supposed to mean? And I think as we understand, or as we read through it, um, we're reminded of the sweetness of the victory of Jesus. We're reminded of the sweetness of his salvation and blood that he shed for us, um, the sweetness that we have through his redemption, but the bitterness of the truth of this world, the, the reality that, yes, this world is, is stricken with sin, um, the bitterness that sin brings in the world and the judgment that it demands, the debt, the um, sin, when it is fulfilled, bringeth forth sin, or bringeth forth death, sorry. Moving past 10, uh, jumping into 11, the two witnesses, um, they proclaim God with tremendous power, the um, power of similar to Moses, similar to Elijah, um, and I'm not going to get into who we believe those two witnesses to be, there's many Many um, clues that point them to Elijah and Moses. Um, there's, there's clues that point them to other prophets from the Bible. Um, but the vision, uh, sorry, the witnesses proclaim with tremendous power for 42 months to the world, proclaiming God, proclaiming who he is, the true and living God in this time where Antichrist has set up his government and his power, demanding to be worshipped himself, and these two witnesses are proclaiming the living and true God in this time of tribulation. The world hates them beyond anything they could ever hate and kill them, leave them in the streets for three and a half days. And after those three and a half days, they're miraculously raised from the dead. And it says there's a voice from heaven that calls them up. They call them up to heaven and their enemies get to watch. And their enemies beheld them in verse 12, and they are scared. They are scared, it says in verse 12 of chapter 11. Um, Chapter 12, getting into, um, moving into chapter 12, the life of Israel as a nation, all the way from its infancy Back when, um, through Joseph, prophesied from Joseph all the way through Christ and even into the end of the tribulation, um, this chapter 12 condenses the, the history of Israel into just a few verses. Um, also thrown in there, the history of Satan as well, there in verse 3 and 4, um, It talks about here how Israel finally understands who this Antichrist creep is, that he's a fraud, and they flee to hide in the wilderness. There's a war. Chapter 12 talks about a war in heaven, a war between Satan and his, a war with Satan and his angels, and Michael and his angels. Satan does not prevail. He is cast out of heaven, and that was odd. It's like, well, I thought he wasn't in heaven. I didn't realize he was in heaven. You know, what is it? What is that? To, the end of chapter twelve describes more of what is, more of what that means. There, 
he's not able to go, able to pass to heaven, to and from heaven to accuse us. He is, he is the great accuser. He is not able to continue that. He cannot accuse us in front of God anymore. Yes, we're covered by the blood, but he cannot accuse us. And it says that in the end of... Um, Go ahead and read it. Uh, Verse 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which which accused them before our God day and night. Like he was able, he had passage to heaven in the time of Job, doesn't have that anymore. He's not able to accuse us before God anymore. Chapter 13, <clears throat> this, gets, this describes um, the beast, commonly known as Antichrist, his government, and it reveals Satan's counterfeit trinity. And it's kind of hard, dis- hard to say that just because it almost seems blasphemous to even say that he has his own little trinity. But um, Antichrist, wounded unto death, yet living. It's a mockery of Jesus Christ, who is the true Messiah. The false prophet, convincing and forcing people to worship Antichrist, and Satan himself, giving power to those two, to both of those. Chapter 14. 144,000 are presented with Christ on Zion, on Mount Zion, in a, gloriously presented on, the, on Mount Zion with Christ. And then, as if the two prophets weren't enough and the 144,000 weren't enough, there are angels swooping across heaven proclaiming God from the heavens. There's three of them. We see that in... Um, sorry, I didn't flip my page yet. Verse 6, I'll go ahead and read it. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. They hear it directly from an angel from heaven. They won't hear it from the two witnesses. They won't hear it from the 144,000 that are sealed with the everlasting seal of God. Maybe they'll hear it from these angels. Gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of waters. That's the first angel. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The fraud is being proclaimed, saying exactly what, exactly what is happening on earth by an angel flying across heaven. It, it's, they're not trying to hide anything here. <laughs> and then the warning, there's a warning given. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, 
which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone and in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torments ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. There's a warning given publicly across the heavens, publicly given to the ones who live during this time, the ones who don't hear Christians before the rapture, the ones who don't hear Christians before the tribulation begins, the ones who are stuck here on the earth. There's a warning given to them, do not follow this Antichrist. And it's a warning that we can give to the people if they, if they won't hear the gospel, at least don't take the mark, at least don't worship the devil. If you see these things coming to pass, be warned. So if they weren't picking up on that, if they can't pick it up, pick up from the angels. I'm not sure what to say to them. <laughs> Chapter 15. Um, the vials, the plagues, uh, seven plagues are presented containing the, the full wrath of God. And it says, and it's it was interesting to me, the, this, the end of it all. It's coming to an end. The, the tribulation is, is coming to, it's, fulfill, it's fulfilling the fullness of the wrath of God. Um, in, chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 15, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. It's full. It's complete. There's nothing left. There's nothing left undone. There's nothing overdone. It is righteous. It is just. It is true. It is full. It is complete. And these are, these um, plagues are presented here in chapter 7. Um, <clears throat> sorry, in chapter 15. Chapter 16, these plagues are poured out on the earth. The vials of wrath, of the fullness of the wrath of God, are poured out on the earth. God is proclaimed in righteousness. He is righteous to do these. To, do the, to judge the earth this way. Verse 4 through 7. And the third angel poured out, this vial, poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged us. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I, heard, and I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. He has every right to judge this way. Seems cruel and hateful and unjust, but God is just to judge this way. Also in, in 16... Three times it is mentioned that they blaspheme God because of these judgments. Again, this is the people left behind in the tribulation. This is the ones who stay to struggle through the great tribulation. The ones who blaspheme God. Even after, like we said, the two witnesses, the 144,000, the three angels proclaiming God and the warning against the beast, proclaiming the one and true God, and yet, what do we hear from the people left on the earth? Blasphemy. Blasphemy towards God. 
chapter 17. It doesn't really line up in the timeline. It more describes the timeline. Kind of, it kind of describes the system, the beginning, the first half of the tribulation, chapter 17. <clears throat> it does, it uh, sorry, describes the religious system that is used during the tribulation. Used during the tribulation. So who, and as we, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 7, and then we'll discuss a little bit about it, but I'm almost done here. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show thee, show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have made drunk with their wine, with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in, in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit up, upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy. That, that beast, there's the same exact beast that we've seen in chapter 13, the same, the same beast that we call Antichrist that rules that one world government that we've seen in chapter 13, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns, verse 4. And the, woman, and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having golden, a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Very rich, wealthy, very wealthy system. The money will just be bountiful, just flowing. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath seven heads and ten horns. And it goes on to describe um, a lot of the figures here, what, what exactly they mean. Uh, but I want to go into a little bit of who is Mystery Babylon. Where are the roots to Mystery Babylon? The roots go all the way back to the fall of Satan. He was cast out of heaven because he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be worshipped as God. Deceives Adam and Eve, convincing them they can be God, like God, knowing good from evil. It's coming through through history, through mankind. This mindset continues on into Babel, building the Tower of Babel, trying to, of their own power, get to God. Don't need a Savior. They're going to get to God on their own. City grows, and we know it as ancient Babylon. City of confusion. We find still man trying to be God or like God or the pride of man being worshipped by other men. Nebuchadnezzar is an example of that. And thankfully for him, God intervened and showed him who God really is. Showed him the true God. But he's out there on his balcony overlooking the great city of Babylon because it was a magnificent city in earthly standpoint was magnificent and he's prideful he's thinking he's really got it figured out and god showed him who 
the real and true God is. We see this progress through, his, through the historic empires. See Egypt, pharaohs being worshipped. Uh, Greece, Alexander the Great actually wanted Babylon to be his capital. He spent many t- uh, much time, a lot of money with his um, soldiers actually trying to rebuild one of the major temples in Babylon. Rome, emperor worship. Each one of these Caesars or emperors of Rome demanded to be worshipped as a god, thought they were God, and demanded to be worshipped by. We see it continuing on. What is the point here? What is the point that I'm trying to make? The religious system that will be coupled with the government during the tribulation this religious, the government of Antichrist will be coupled with this religious system. It's not, it is, um, sorry. The pride and depravity of man has always sought to be like God or to be worshipped as a God and have all power. A lot of commentators lay this harlot of chapter 17 they lay it to the Catholic Church. It's, it's easy to point fingers. A lot of, and uh, Clarence Larkin, fabulous with the charts that he makes and the, and the information that he has dug out of the book of Revelation, um, very much points it straight to the Catholic Church. Um, the world, the power that it has here in the world, the money involved, the system set up in it, but to avoid human prejudice ten- tendencies, I would like to remind us of John fourteen six. And I'd like you to turn there because it's worth reading. John chapter fourteen. We're going to. Verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. False, False religion is not confined only to the Catholic Church. False religion, the religious system that will rule during the tribulation, is not only the Catholic Church. We cannot point the fingers and think we are above what they teach or their doctrines or whatever. We could have our own doctrines that, like in the churches, the, the um, I don't remember exactly which one, but Christ says um, you have the Nicolaitans whose doctrine I hate. Christ loved that church there yet he hated the doctrines of the Nicolaitans that were infiltrating into that church. Christ loves this church and has blessed this church. We cannot be prideful and believe that the, the Roman Catholicism is, well, we're not of them, so we're not, we don't have to worry about that. The system that will rule during the tribulation will be a conglomeration of false religions. False religion as a whole, as we looked, it comes all the way, stems all the way back to the fall of Satan, the fall of man, stems all the way from back there. 
we will see, we won't see, the the conglomeration of false religions and all who focus on man's way to heaven or man's way to righteousness will unite. It will be a united religion. One world government, one power, and one religion. So, what's that? Perfect counterfeiter. Yeah, the great counterfeiter. <clears throat> Our job as Christians who know the truth and have the light to share is to share that light. Have compassion on those who have been duped by Satan and share the truth with them. They need it or they will fall into this system and ultimately will find themselves in hell. Let's pray, and uh, we'll be dismissed. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for um, thank you for this book, Lord, that you've uh, helped us, Lord, to study. Larissa and I, Lord, as we've tried to um, present it to the teens, Lord, and I ask that you would be with each and every one of the people here in this congregation, that they could grasp something from it, Lord, and to... Uh, live by it. Lord, I thank you for your power in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.